Welcome to another Patreon episode of Pat and the Fat Man. We like to talk about movies, sports, whatever else you want us to talk about. I'm Pat. And I'm the Fat Man. Today we're coming at you with a PB&J short about the Mandalorian season tray. We're going to go over episodes one and two. Woo! First impressions of the Fat Man. It's been a good season so far. I like a lot of the cinematics. I like character development. I like a lot of the adventures and places they take you. The sets are great. The costumes have been great. The casting has been great. My only little thing, and we'll talk more about it as we go along, is that the story seems good, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like you know where the story is going because every time you think you're going to go on an epic quest, it ends a lot faster than you think it, it was going to. Or at the very least... The quest you were going to go on turns out to be not worth going on. Yeah. From the first episode to the second episode, you thought you were going on one side quest, and it turns out you didn't even need to go on that side quest. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, if he is, then he's kind of doing it for reasons other than what he said he was going to do it for. And then even the main quest, what you thought was going to be the main quest, you kind of get through that already <laughs> so you're not sure what your your big adventure your big main quest is going to be yeah so i get the same feeling like it keeps throwing these things at us that you think are going to be this the thing and then it's not and either quickly gets resolved or becomes not the thing and i think that's what a lot of people wanted out of the show at the beginning was you know what are we doing next because we finished our previous quest right grogu was reunited with his people and then decided not to do that due to marketing reasons on the part of the disney corporation that's <laughs> <laughs> needing to keep baby yoda aka grogu and in the mix for merchandise purposes and so <laughs> basically what we got in the book of boba fett was that the two seasons of the mandalorian and the really heartfelt and kind of heartbreaking ending didn't really happen right or got quickly wiped away for that i'm okay with <laughs> yeah i'm not <laughs> what was grogu coming back yeah i'm really not mm. i gotta admit especially not the way he did luke wasn't the greatest teacher and he certainly couldn't inspire things at least as far as we can tell from the sequel trilogy he's a bumbling idiot as far as we can tell from the sequel trilogy which i don't like i don't like luke being a bumbling idiot <laughs> neither do i i mean i understand he grew up on tattooing but for the love of god i'm sure he had a quick education seeing how he faced down the emperor and turned his father back to the light side yeah but whatever man whatever <laughs> yeah all we get from post disney star wars is luke's an idiot poor mark hamill <laughs> yeah honestly good, good thing he has so much uh, so much else in, in his legacy <laughs> mm-hmm I mean, he started to kind of come out a little bit, you know, with some bitterness about things here and there. But the fact that he was able to maintain his composure through all of this. Yeah. And I guess that's part of because he wants to keep doing what he's doing in Hollywood. And the other part is, is that he's come to terms with it. And he's got other things, like you said, that he does. And he doesn't need this to be his entire legacy. But I mean, after all that waiting and all that potential, it turned out the way that it did. Yeah. Twice. Right. Basically, we got slapped in the face twice. Right. With Filoni's big honking. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one being from Ryan Johnson. So, yeah, that guy can go. 
Yes. (laughs) But we digest. Yeah, so The Mandalorian. All right, so let's go through episode number one. This is a PB&J short, so we're not going to necessarily go through it like we do with our movies. Yeah. But we'll move through it, talk about the highlights of the of the show. We want to talk about things we like, didn't like, that sort of stuff. So The first one, the first scene, really, there were parts, there were some cool parts. You got to see a little bit of ceremony of kid getting indoctrinated into the way... The Creed, I guess. The Mandalorian Creed is what they're called. Yeah, and they are a particular sect within the Mandalorians, if I remember right. Yeah, just like the Watch and some other sects. And, you know, they're one of many. And Bo-Katan later in the episode talks about how the different sects splintered. And yeah. But in this one, this kid's basically getting baptized by getting his helmet put on. And while in the middle of the ceremony, this giant alligator turtle thing shows up. It is one of those things that really brought to my mind that maybe the Mandalorians aren't quite as bad as I built them up in my head and I should manage my expectations because not a single one of them thought that while the beast was roaring and opening its mouth and trying to eat the other Mandalorians there, that they should throw a grenade down its throat. Yeah. Go all, you know, starship troopers on it. Yeah. They were all like, let's plant these things on the back of the turtle shell. Like right on the armor, right on the thickest yeah. part of the, the creature. Let's do that and see if it helps. <laughs> You're literally effectively a religion built around wearing armor and you don't seem to understand how it works at least not on living things yeah yeah and the funny part like the whole baptism thing she was literally about to like pour water on him mm-hmm. <laughs> like when when they get interrupted by the crocodile turtle dial <laughs> turtle dial i like turtle dial that's uh, what i like turtle gator but turtle gator oh yeah yeah turtle gator is pretty good too <sighs> So now we can debate on whether or not its snout was long enough to to be classified as a crocodile or a gator. You know, being from Florida, we can make this determination. (laughs) Yeah, this is important. We could really Florida man it and go, turtle gator dial. (laughs) Turtle gator gator dial. dial. (laughs) You don't need to get that turtle gator dial. Get all, no, get, all get all Jeb Bush about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm really Louisiana-ing it. <laughs> Cajun-ing it. Jeb Bush, Florida's Al Gore. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty solid. Right. I have ridden the mighty moon worm. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> and then, of course, the Mandalorian comes in and saves these people by throwing a proton torpedo right into its side. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought should have caused a bigger explosion than than what it did i mean there should have been guts like everywhere (laughs) everywhere yeah Uh, i think that speaks to this not being the same level of gore as we would get in a lot of other shows which i was okay with no i thought it was interesting because at first i thought this was a flashback that this was uh din jajar getting inducted and then it turns out to be more of a flash forward to present right and it's interesting because you have this whole new colony effectively of the mandalorians mm-hmm. set up in this new home cave whereas you know last we left them at the end of what was it season one they're scattered to the wind right they all attack the imperial they come out of the shadows and they attack the imperial garrison and then they all flee right because the last time we in season two we even saw a mandalorian was on the space station ring around some planet and it was just the armor and one other mandalorian trying to teach in Dejarin, how to use the dark saber. Well, that wasn't season two. That was Book of Boba Fett. You're right. That was season two point five. Yeah, <laughs> that was the half season in between. 
so yeah, season two, the only Mandalorians you meet is Bo-Katan and her crew. Right. When Din Djarin finally catches up with the armor, she's got the one other with her, and he tries to fight Din for the uh, dark saber. And then- right. And then after he essentially saves the day. He goes to talk to the armorer, and she's like, yeah, you took your helmet off. Get the hell out. So not even a thank you. No acknowledgement. Yeah. No pushback for it either. So I thought that was a little weird. I mean, if it were me, I'd been like, how about showing a little gratitude here? You could all have been dead. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if I really believed I wasn't one of you, and if I didn't really care, you would all be dead. (laughs) Yeah, because you're terrible at fighting giant monsters, apparently. (laughs) Unlike Jin. Like, it's so killer with Jin. Din. Din whatever <laughs> din dejarin din dejarin it's and and i guess this is true of all mandalorians is because of the beskar they just think they're invincible it's like granted you're invincible to lasers that actually hit your beskar but you're not invincible to getting eaten in <laughs> i mean granted boba fett did get out of the sarlacc but not for lack of the Zarlacc trying to melt him down. <laughs> With his stomach acid. <laughs> yeah. So it strikes me that the Mandalorians very much have this attitude of, I don't need to be smart or strategic or fight well because my armor will save my butt. And Din seems to have a little bit of a leg up on them because of how cruddy his armor was. <laughs> and that's the funny part. Like, I never got the impression amongst the other Mandalorians that Din Djarin was really looked upon with any sort of real favor, you know? Yeah, no. Not really at all. Like, he was, like, the best amongst them. Like, no, not at all. <laughs> you think back to the early episodes and he's the one of the tribe that gets to go out and bounty hunt. Right. And the rest of them have to be in hiding. And there's even, like, a fight over that, right? Like, a vibroblade fight. Right. Between him and the same guy who challenges him for the uh, Darksaber later on. I think it's the same guy. I don't know. I Like, it just seems like these guys, like... Yes, so it sort of makes sense you all got wiped out. (laughs) Because you (laughs) thought you were invincible, and armor can only take you so far. (laughs) Right. So then... After that, we kind of just get a repeat of what we knew from the Book of Boba Fett episodes, which is that Din Djarin has to, I guess, repent. Atone. Atone. There's a go. Atone. Yeah, repent, atone, whatever. We, we got to see baptism. Now we're going to see... Uh... <laughs> Sanctify himself. <laughs> yeah. Now we get to see reconciliation. <laughs> yeah, reconciliation. That's a good word. By bathing in, quotes, the living waters of Mandalore. And the armor says, can't be done. It's been destroyed. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, she puts down a rock, like a, a green rock that, that says, like, this is the surface of Mandalore. Yeah, he got it from some Jawas who got it from a guy who said he was on the surface of Mandalore. If you've been watching the Book of Boba Fett and you got this, you kind of knew this is, you would think that this is going to be the big arc. Yeah, this this is the new quest, right? Get to Mandalore and get in that water, right? This right. is going to be what we're going to spend a season or two doing. Right. So if you haven't seen these episodes yet, go ahead and stop this recording and come back when you have, because we're going to start doing spoilers at this point. Spoiler alert! Oh, gosh! Why? Why? <laughs> Because we like to. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that happens. Uh, Opening credits. And then the next thing you know, we show up on Navarro again. For the Mandalorian show, Navarro's basically home base. Yeah. 
We're always going to go to Navarro. And every time we go, it's a little better. Apollo Creed is there, of course. And it's really kind of cool. Like, the whole place is cleaned up. And, you know, those uh, Kaworkian monkey lizard things <laughs> are no longer being eaten. They're just sitting in the trees. And I love it because there's it's like it's like a renaissance festival, basically. Yeah, because you have you have the town crier who's a robot, of course. You, you have a three PO unit almost. Yeah, you've got a bunch of people playing stringed instruments in the square. You've got everybody wearing well, just extravagant clothes, right? Futuristic Renaissance garb. It looks Renaissance. You've got high magistrate Carl Weathers, <laughs> who used to be disgraced magistrate Carl Weathers. <laughs> Well, what I like about that is that when he goes and meets him and shakes his hand, he goes, it's high magistrate to you. And I'm like, well, that's a way to show how much of a friend he is. Hey, buddy, you get my title right. <laughs> We're friends. You better get my title right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We get some Fusker Stallone down here and knock your ass out again. <laughs> yeah i watched rocky balboa the other day so i guess they were playing it on one of the action channels on pluto tv and they played all of them so i caught the end of like rocky five and then rocky balboa which i really liked i I enjoyed watching that show but we won't talk about that one (laughs) because we're talking about the mandalorian i mean we can talk about rocky and adrian cut my eye mickey cut my eye cut me mick cut me so Kreef tries to give Mandalorian the big sell on settling down there on his planet to become the new Marshal yeah. because uh, Marshal Cara Dune is off on a special assignment. He got the big axe from Disney. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I thought they handled that pretty well in general. It was much quieter than it could have been. It plays along like character wise. Oh, character wise, story wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The last we saw her. You know, she was having a conversation with New Republic X-Wing fighter pilot Mm -hmm. about coming back in. And, you know, she turned him down at that point, but apparently she decided to re-up. It was a good way to handle it. Well, she re-upped because she was taking in Moff Gideon for arrest. And that was when they recruited her. And that's what, you know, Kreef says is that, you know, when she was transporting them, they recruited her to special ops. Yeah. And that Moff Gideon is now gone. He's been transported to a war tribunal. Which, you know, to me, sounds like a convenient way for him to break out. <laughs> yeah. I fully think if Disney de-wokes itself enough to rehire her, that she'll get her own show. <laughs> because that'd be a cool show. I mean, we're all enjoying it. Rebel Alliance Special Ops <laughs> with uh, Andor having New Republic Special Ops, I think would be good. And hey, maybe, you know, down the line, we'll just all completely retcon the sequel movies and... <laughs> <laughs> and get something good in there. You know, there's hopes. I got to have high hopes. I mean, honestly, like I said, two thirds. of Well, one, the first one I thought was good enough. The third one would have been great if it wasn't so hamstrung by the second one. Right. It was just, it was spending most of its time trying to fix the problems. I think if you were to reshoot the second one, The Last Jedi, and give Abrams, you know, the director slash writer on it. Mm-hmm. He would make a good second piece that would fit in the first and third that he made. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be as good as if he had just been handed the full trilogy from the get go, but he could slop it together. (laughs) Right. You figure they because he managed to slop three together. Right. So. Right. uh, Or nine, whatever. (laughs) I just figure they should have had at least one person 
driving the story, even if they use different directors. Well, I gotta say, that's kind of why I, for the most part, like the story of what they're doing here with the Mandalorian is that you've got a consistent, you know, directorial way, you know, from story, you know, and director, this Filoni and Favreau working together to get this story. And like I said, like we've said before, is that, you know, we're not sure why they've done what they've done with these story arcs, but by and large, they've done a good job, even shortening off these quests. I still feel comfortable. There's a lot of potential left in the season yeah. that they can take us to places that are, they're going to be really good. Yeah. Cause they're, you know, they're providing effectively the story direction. Each episode's done by a different director. Carl Weathers gets an episode this season. So I'm really interested to see what that one's mm. going to be about. Hopefully the Mandalorian has a boxing match against somebody. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> or, you know, a golfing game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 See what I did there. <laughs> Just tap it in. Just tap it in. Tap it in. Tap it in. There's a gator that stole your hand. <laughs> you know, a gator that took your hand? Well, I got his head. <laughs> I got his head. <laughs> Wow, I just realized the Mandalorian killed a gator turtle at the beginning of that episode. (laughs) (laughs) So many connections. Tell me Carl Weathers didn't have a hand in that. I'm pretty sure Dave Filoni's a fanboy who was handed the thing he's a fanboy for. And he's like, I am going to cram so many 80s and 90s references into this because that's when he grew up. You know, he's basically our age. And so that's. That's what we're getting. <laughs> well, so if you listen to the interviews that they've done for this season, it is very much like you, like, this is how I imagined it would have been in high school for you, me, and our other friends in high school. Like, if we had reins to write a Star Wars TV show, that the, the process would be similar. Like, these guys just do nothing but talk about it and argue about it and then pull other people in to back up their sides and then work through things and what are great stories and what aren't. And they've done a really good job, I think, of balancing between old, new, canon, you know, or current canon versus old canon, and just adding a few new things in there. You know, I think that the process is good. I think that the, you know, these are fanboys, like you said, and that's just what we're seeing out. And that they're just trying to keep doing what they're doing. So the new stuff is what's making Disney happy. And the old stuff is what making Star Wars fans happy. So it's all working enough. Yeah. So the IG-88 or IG, it's not 88. What is it? 11. IG-11 stuff was interesting. Yeah. You know, I thought I was like, ah, they made a statue of him. That's hilarious. Right. Oh, wait, it's it's actually him. <laughs> well, part of it is actually him. Yeah. Like half of them is actually him. And the other half isn't. They try to get him fixed. And what do they take him to? Oh, what are they called? The Andorians? No. The, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly. Andorians. Andorians. Yeah. The Italians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you want? <laughs> the species that Babu Frick is. From uh, the third movie, right? Yeah, because he's got to read uh, the thing on the with a really weird yeah series of events that kind of didn't make any sense. This time, it's not just one of them. There's three of them there, and such a great, cute moment there where uh, Grogu tries to hug one of the Andorians. You know, tries to give a big old hug, and they're like, "No, no, no, friend, <laughs> bad baby, bad baby, bad baby, bad baby." <laughs> 
Yeah, so great. It's just so cute and adorable. Just <laughs> uh, trying to hug Babu Frick, or not not Babu Frick, but yeah, that and Arian. That was hilarious. That whole sequence. I love like Carl Weathers or Creve translating for Mando. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, eventually Mando's like, I, I can understand him. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I love when um when Mando tells Grieve that the you know the child's name is Grogu. <laughs> Grogu early. He's like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> His name is Grogu. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> and that's kind of like, I think it mirrored most of what the fandom thought at that time, which was, no, nah, his, 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 no. It's Baby Yoda. He's the baby. Yeah, it's Baby right. Yoda. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to call him Grogu. It's Baby Yoda. <laughs> Do the hand thing, baby. Do the hand thing. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one, and then you had a really good Western kind of moment. The lone gunman, the freelance gun shooter rolls into town and helps the, the local sheriff take care of the bandits. Yeah. Yeah. By shooting the pirates who went to go drinking at a school, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bar anymore. It's a school. Yeah. Well, we're going to drink in there. I'm like, why would you want to like, why not go to the bar? <laughs> like, like i'm sure there's a bar <laughs> i mean way to show as if you have influence when really nobody cares yeah like you can go to another bar no we say we go to this place <laughs> yeah nobody nobody cares just go somewhere else yeah. <laughs> you don't scare us <laughs> yeah we'll go we'll go have a drink in my office trust me Liquor tastes just as good in my office as it does in a school. <laughs> you big dummies. You can't taste it at all if you're dead. <laughs> yeah. But it was a cool quick draw moment. Yep. A little bit of action preceding the eventual space battle action we got. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of fun. I think it's been something sort of missing from the Mandalorian because of how... Or at least one where, where the Mandalorian doesn't get his ass kicked. Right, yeah, how non-combat ready the Razor Crest, even in its best days, was. Well, it was just not built for space fights. And then this ever-hated by Bruce Naboo Starfighter. Still hate it. I still hate it. I don't care that it shut down six of these guys. These guys were morons. I still hate it. The thing could have done just the same thing, if not better, in a damn Z-95. Yeah, probably could have. <laughs> Probably would have done it better. <laughs> yeah, we get what we what we think is going to be the first side quest, right? We've been given our this is your main quest. Go to Mandalore and, and bathe in the waters, and and right, he's gonna have to go on a bunch of side quests to put together whatever he needs to do this. And right, and Din says that he needs the IG eleven so that way he could test the air on Mandalore to see if it's safe for him to go there. Yeah, just keep that in mind as we go through a little bit more of this. Right. So then, yeah, the space battle comes and Pirate King Gorian Shard. So what was interesting there is when you see the Pirate King's uh, spaceship, it looks an awful lot like the Dark Horse comics, uh, Star Wars, Dark Empire, the Eclipse Star Destroyer looks a lot like that. Yeah. The Eclipse Star Destroyer was like basically a Star Destroyer with a giant. Death Star super laser on the front. Only it was just one laser, not like all of them. So the best that it could do was like crack the mantle of a planet and that would be good enough to basically kill all life on it anyway. So 
it was very similar to that. And then the Pirate King Gorian, when you see him, to me, had a very Muppet feel. It was the big green alien with what looked like slime and moss just hanging <laughs> off of him. Yeah, he he to me, he was like a combination of Swamp Thing and Davy Jones from yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Like that's that's the feel I got off of him was it's a cross between and yeah very muppet like in his movement and and talking so yeah i thought that was hilarious and the coloring yes because it was bright green yeah we get kind of the this is your main quest this is your first side quest and here's your big bad for the season right it's this pirate king right he's going to be gunning for you since you just took out a bunch of his guys you know four guys on the ground and then other like six fighters or whatever he says four but it was actually five because there were six fighters in total and one made it back to the mothership yeah and you know he jets off you know never trust a pirate (laughs) right if you leave your your ship i'll spare your life or whatever and din is like never try and it's interesting because as as you go along in the episodes you can tell din is now trying to teach the child how to be a mandalore right we've transferred from he's cargo effectively who i'm trying to get to his people to Okay, now he's a foundling. Like, I now have to teach him and bring him up in the creed. Right. Because you show him navigation and things like that. Yeah. I think that was, that's good that they're doing that because if they weren't doing that, it would very much feel like this whole thing was kind of a lie, right? <laughs> well, you know, what's the point? What's he doing there? Exactly. Now, when he jets off and he goes into hyperspace, you see the Mandalorian. Or will you see the the ship, you know, in hyperspace and you see Grogu looking out the cockpit as they're going through the tunnel of hyperspace and you see a shadow just beyond the wall of hyperspace. And it's kind of a large creature. It's basically a space whale. And that comes from the Star Wars Rebels cartoon. Uh, It's called a Pergill. These are basically space whales that move through space and they can just suddenly and randomly jump into hyperspace in and out of hyperspace at will. You know, there's lore about them. There's, you know, because they're not really sentient creatures and they're just like wild animals. They come and go as they will. And sometimes they knock ships out of hyperspace, sometimes hit ships as they're coming out of, as the whales are coming out of hyperspace, you know, destroying ships, this, that, and the other thing. So so there's kind of a thing behind it, but if you haven't seen Rebels, basically this is a tie-in for the Ahsoka uh, show, because at the end of Rebels, Thrawn and Ezra Bridger, Thrawn the baddie in Rebels, and then Ezra Bridger, one of the main good characters, end up getting thrown into hyperspace to God knows where by Pergils. So that's what they're trying to do there. It's like, hey, guess what? We're going to tie some of this into Ahsoka. Yeah, when that show eventually comes out. Hopefully. Right. (laughs) Since I've heard there's been another wave of cancellations. I don't know about Star Wars specifically, but several projects, apparently. Well, Ahsoka was Dave Filoni's um, love child from Clone Wars and Rebels. I really find it hard to believe they're not going to do Ahsoka. I do, too. It just seems like they've already got so much lined up. It would boggle my mind if they decided not to do it. Right. So when they come out of hyperspace, they end up in the Mandalorian system. You find out that where Din Djarin grew up was basically in that system. That all the scenes before of how he was rescued by Mandalorians and whatnot, he was apparently part of one of the sects as a child. I believe it's the Watch. And he grew up on a planet called Concordia, a moon of Mandalore. So he grew up in the Mandalorian system, but he's never been to Mandalore. 
But they end up going to a third planet called Kavala, where Bo-Katan Kreese is basically sitting on a throne all by herself, kind of just lounging there. And it's just kind of weird because it's just her and a robot <laughs> or a droid. <laughs> Din Djarin tries to recruit her. She goes, no, go away. Well, no, it's 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 the other way around. He tries to join her. He's like, I'm ready to join your group or whatever. Right. And she says, no, they're all gone. And basically tells him to go away. <laughs> you know, and it's weird to me because supposedly uh, a bunch of time has passed. You know, we, we between season two and now, because we had season 2.5. So all the stuff the Mandalorian has gone through and Grogu has gone through. It kind of looks like Bo-Katan has been sulking in this castle that entire time. Right. Like, <laughs> because all of that stuff would have happened right after the end of season two with all the Darksaber stuff and everything. Right. You're like, really? Really? You know, this strikes me as very strange for her character. I mean, she didn't give up the fight before. So why is she suddenly giving up the fight now? You know, she had followers before they even knew the Darksaber was still out there. It's a little weird. Yeah, that whole that whole scene was odd. It just was. There's really no other way to put it. For me, it made me think, okay, maybe she's got something else in the works. Because it just doesn't make sense for her character to have, like, given up. And Din tells her, I'm going down to Mandalore. And so maybe she's thinking, ah, well, maybe he'll die down there and I can go just get the Darksaber. (laughs) (laughs) And collect all my people. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't really seem like the kind of thing either. Because if she was going to do that, then why wouldn't she have just taken it from him when he offered it to her? She seemed really adamant at the end of season two that she had to get the Darksaber from him in combat. Right. And she it never it never seems like she challenges him or fights him or like unless it right. happened off screen and we're going to get some sort of flashback to it. But I don't think so. Like, it just doesn't seem that way. Right. Like you you figure if they had fought over it, then Din wouldn't have gone to her castle <laughs> to see her. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It just seemed very uncharacteristic. Pretty sure that was the end of episode one, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. So then we enter into episode two, arriving on Tatooine. Because you always have to go to Tatooine. Right. Tatooine on Bunta Eve. Now, call me an idiot. I'm just catching up to this now. But Bunta Eve, I thought, was like a race, like a, a, like a spot for the race. Like the course was called Bunta Eve or something. No, Bunta Eve is a holiday. Yeah. I come to find out and learn that it's celebrating when a hut had ascended to godhood. That's what what it's celebrating. So it's a big holiday on Tatooine, much like a lot of holidays. People just celebrate because why not? Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, most of the holidays celebrated in America are celebrated in such a way or because we feel like it. <laughs> like, right. like the way we celebrate Christmas way over the top compared to like all traditional Christmases, <laughs> the way we celebrate Valentine's Day. Completely unrelated to St. Valentine's. The way we we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Also unrelated to St. Patrick. (laughs) The way we celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Most people don't even care that the Mexicans beat the French. They don't even realize that's what it is. It's not the Mexican Independence Day. It's the Mexicans beating the French. (laughs) And really, is that such an accomplishment? (laughs) July 4th is really the only one we all do. July 4th and Memorial Day (laughs) are really the only ones we do. That's because And Thanksgiving. And that's because those are literally our holidays. We didn't co-opt them. (laughs) Like, those are the American (laughs) holidays. All the other holidays we celebrate in America, we've co-opted. 
adopted and just made effectively an excuse to party, which, you know, hey, we're Americans. I was going to say, is that not American? (laughs) Yeah, we can always use an excuse to party or fight or both, preferably both. (laughs) (laughs) So then this is where we talk about another quest issue that we had. Din Djarin goes to Pelimoto because that's who he knows there. And he tells her he needs a droid. Well, he tells her he needs the part. Right. IG-11. The memory bank or whatever it was. Unit. Yeah. No surprise. They don't have one. The jaw is her nobody. But she gives him, well, not gives him, sells him at a air quotes discount an R5 droid. According to other people, and I haven't researched this, this is the same R5 unit that blew a motivator in A New Hope. Yeah. That was supposed to go to Luke and Owen Lars. Supposedly, this is the same R5 unit. This one's got a bad motivator. (laughs) (laughs) So whiny. I'm just going to slap that kid just for the heck of it. Uncle Owen, why? 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 Because <laughs> you kept deserve slapping. it. <laughs> he just kept slapping. <laughs> just, just kept slapping, <laughs> officer. Rue tried to step in, and then he started slapping her. <laughs> and that's when you decided to uh, to unleash the flamethrowers on them instead of the normal laser guns? <laughs> well, you know, we had them. We hadn't used them yet today, and... <laughs> You realize this is an eternal affairs audit. Yeah, but we're the Empire. We're supposed to kill people randomly. Oh, yeah, I forgot. (laughs) We're evil. (laughs) Anyways. Slap happy Um, Uncle Owen. (laughs) So Pelimoto gives Din Djarin this R5 unit to do the task that Din Djarin wanted IG-11 to do. So essentially, we've already finished the quest for the droid because he doesn't need the IG anymore. He's got R5. Yeah, I I hated this scene for two reasons. Number one, what's her name turns out to be? Well, sleazy. Sleazy. But yeah. we, we knew that already, but it seemed like for once she was being sleazy towards Din Djarin. Yeah. She thought that she they've come to an understanding and a liking that she wasn't going to pull that kind of stunt on him per se. Like in season two, yeah, she makes him, you know, transport frog lady, but that almost seemed like a goodwill kind of thing. Right. She struck you as kind of like the sleazy person who has a heart of gold. Right. And in this, she was just, just sleazy, like the whole way through, like from the beginning where she's basically ripping a guy off fixes speeder that she had the jaw was steal the stuff off of and through the shoehorning of selling the the droid to din and the second part i hate is that uh, din took the droid because you know what we got off of the first episode was very much din being stubborn about wanting the ig11 droid because that's what he trusted like he trusted that droid and that's the droid he wanted because he trusted it and because he's din dajar and he is the most stubborn son of a bitch in the entire galaxy if he wants something that's what he goes for that's right i'm gonna get this droid it doesn't matter if it's the most inconvenient thing in the world he's going to do yeah i'm gonna get it and so him taking the droid it felt so out of character for him and so out of place in the storyline that was already established. It almost struck me as like the one director kind of countermanding another director, but we know the directors aren't in charge of the storyline. Right. So I, I don't, it just, it didn't, <clears throat> it felt very out of character. 
well, it kind of just felt like maybe we don't have the time to do that story anymore, so we're just going to go do this, you know? Right. I didn't like that. That being said, I still think we're going to see IG-11 fully restored and whatnot, because it just, again, seems like a waste of time to even mention him and go through that. They could they could have just kept him the statutes that have taken him down. Right. I think we still will see IG-11, but his purpose is going to change now. Yeah. So now he's got this astromech and he flies off to Mandalore. Yep. Goes straight to Mandalore. You know, lands, coaxes the droid into going into the Civic Center. So apparently the mines are underneath the Civic Center. Read into that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> And the droid goes missing, so then Dindadarn gets out of the spaceship, goes to find him, and then gets assaulted by these creatures. I can't remember the name of them, but basically they're like, what were the name of the creatures from the, the time machine? Oh, yeah, Morlocks. Morlocks, yes. It was like, they're like Morlocks. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> what they were. <laughs> this scene doesn't make any sense either, because he could have just had the droid literally roll out right there within sight and test the air. Right. Instead, he's like, go over there behind those rocks so I can't see you and test the air over there. And I'm like, what? This is stupid. What difference? <laughs> Especially because like, it's not like he was trying to take samples of the air from different elevations. No, it was still the, literally the same elevation from where the ship was. <laughs> yeah, I get it. If you're going to like take him with you as you go and go down elevations and send him in front of you and test, you know, Fine. That makes sense. Well, what you actually did was you sent him behind a rock. Mm-hmm. He he got ganked. You went in after him with your closed in hood. You tested it. And then you went down into like the city without him. <laughs> like, right. Because you clearly you can get out of the ship and be OK by sealing your helmet and the rest of your suit, apparently. Yeah. And go find him. But you were too afraid of that. Never mind that we don't understand how much air supply you would even have with that because you're not wearing air tanks per se. The only tank you're wearing is for your jet. Yeah. You don't have a scuba tank. Right. <laughs> I don't know how you have an air filtration system that would work in that small a space, but I, you know, whatever. <laughs> there's a lot of things about Mandalorian equipment that don't quite make sense. And there's the even part coming up. Well, basically when he's like, okay, it's safe to breathe the air here. And he takes the child with him and they descend into the lower levels of the the city center it's like well how much fuel does your jetpack have yeah it just seems to like last forever (laughs) i mean that's something that's always i've always felt with the mandalorian jetpacks it always seems like they have magic fuel right because you know (laughs) boba fett's turned out to be a rocket like what you thought was the fuel tank turns out to be a rocket you're just like well where does he keep the fuel then Like, (laughs) like there's nowhere to keep what you would need to power those two engines there Sir. <laughs> and it's not compressed air because you clearly see flames coming out of it. Yeah, it's it's magic. It's just future <laughs> space magic. I really don't like to nitpick Star Wars like that, but like in moments like this, you're just like, okay, what? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he goes down into below the city center, starts walking through the sewers and whatnot, and he falls into a trap by this mechanical thing that's all i can say it's basically mechanical thing some sort of droid looking thing yeah and it comes to find out it's a creature that looks a lot like general grievous but my theory on this is that it is a geonosian 
that's gone under some major modifications, like a, a procedure like General Grievous. But I think it's uh, a Geonosian because of, well, one, there were the spikes on its back, mm-hmm. which some of them did have. The fact that it likes to use a staff weapon. And then what noises it did make almost sounded much like the glottoral clicks and smacks that Geonosians made. I mean, but it also sounded like the kind of noises Grievous made. Right. Well, that's why I thought the procedure would be the same. Well, it's also always possible that Grievous was a Geonosian. Right. You never know about that because Grievous was on that side of the Civil War. Civil War. (laughs) (laughs) Turned out we were fighting ourselves the whole time. (laughs) Sorry, Andor. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, it struck me very, very grievous, like like the whole time. I thought it was a cool villain. Oh, yeah, really neat. I thought it was very cool. And again, uh, Muppet vibes because of the way that the scenery played out and how the lair was set up and the characters and, you know, how they got Grogu to kind of like stealthily try to make his way over to the, the cage that got that has into Jaren in it and try to release him. It all seemed very Dark Crystal-esque. Yeah, it did. Right, because it's not just Muppets. It's it's like everything... The the One of the keynotes about Dark Crystal is that there's no humans, right? It's all puppets. Right. And at some point, your mind just pushes the I believe button, and it's like, okay, this is like the this is real, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't puppets because there's no humans walking about. Like, and it's... And they do the world really well, and you get the same... Really the same kind of vibe in that sequence. Because the two people who are mobile at that point are Grogu and the creature. That's already throwing off pretty heavy Skeksy vibes from the Dark Crystal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sort of man-machine sort of weirdness going on. You know, then Grogu escapes being chased by the flying alligator. <laughs> right. I'm wondering if we're gonna get like some some sort of gator in every uh, episode this season. <laughs> well, that's been cool about this is that there have been new creatures along the way. They've had their place, but they haven't been like overbearing. So, like in the first season, there were a couple episodes where certain creatures were like pinnacle to the episode. I wouldn't say that's the case here, but they've been showcased to have their place in the story, and they've been entertaining and then they just go away yeah it's like you know the first uh episode of the second season you had the crate dragon and that was that was the episode right it was all about how to deal right. with the crate dragon and the ice episode from season one with the giant ice monster <laughs> mm-hmm. although that was more of a came in came out sort of a deal but yeah it's been it's been fun the creature effects have been just a lot of fun mm-hmm. so then yeah grogu has to escape and fly the and one starfighter by himself back to Kalevala and get Bo-Katan. I didn't have a problem with that. It was a little weird that she was so quick to uh, jump to his aid because it really didn't seem like she cared about him at all or cared about what he was doing. You're going to set free to those people and get that oil. I mean, uh, Darksaber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll help you. Hope you're dead. <laughs> right? That's what it, it's what it struck me as. <laughs> yeah, when she goes to Mandalor, all of a sudden she's strutting around like she knows all this shit. You know, like, you know, she's the coolest Mandalorian ever. Oh, yeah, I know about this. I know about that. And given a brief history of things that you probably would have learned if you watched Clone Wars or um, Rebels. Do they ever go into the Creed in those shows or into the mines? Not really. Okay. They go to Mandalore. Mandalore as a city, 
you know, as a planet that Mandalorians still live on. They talk about all the conflicts that they've had over the years and what eventually happened to it. She talks about how she's royalty and she talks about her sister and her father and how they did do the creed, like the same creed that Din Djarin and his sect vowed to. And they did it for the people as a show and whatnot. And uh, she talks about her father. And Well, no, she didn't talk about her father with... Not until she saves Din Djarin. Yeah, which she, 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 she talks a lot about the city with Grogu. Right. But then it's more about the ceremony and the, you know, after she after the fight with the giant robot, which is an interesting fight. Mm-hmm. You know, she seems to have the same sort of blasé attitude that the rest of the Mandalorians have about like, oh, I'm indestructible <laughs> going into this fight. But she wields the, the Darksaber like it has absolutely no weight to it at all. Right. And I just find that odd. I find it odd that suddenly that the way you train with it and you would think that with all the time that Din Djarin's had it, he would have trained with it enough to have been able to use it without it looking like he's carrying around 100 pounds, you know. In the book of Boba Fett, I think the armor talks about it's because he's not worthy of it or something like that, that that's why he can't use it. And so I'll be very interested to see after this episode and him having bathed in the waters coming out of it if his redemption is going to cause him to be able to wield the darksaber right because she talked about how she bathed in the waters yeah as part of the ceremony of being part of the royal family you know and it made her father proud and then she talked about how her father defended died defending mandalore and you know dinda jordan just said this is the way and he moves on. You can see she's staring at Grogu and goes, what are you staring at? Some people took that as like a, a look of admiration from her. But I think it was one of those, I can't tell if he's mocking me or not kind of looks. Yeah. I think the rest of us took it as a, I mean, that's just what Din Dejar would say. Right. <laughs> that's just him following his creed. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, it was, it, it was cool getting there. And then they get to the, the, the living waters the and waters. she reads the little sign. And this is where Din's kind of uh, character changes a little bit to me because she's like, oh, I'll give you the full tour and starts to read from a plaque. And then it's like, he's just focused on nothing but getting into the water. You know, he's taking off his cloak, his jetpack, his weapons, and then he just starts walking straight in. And again, this is very ceremonial, much like the the beginning of the first episode. It's interesting in that in that cultural aspect, you know, you see the, about learning about Mandalorians and how much they believe in their creed and whatnot. <laughs> and then he just drops. He wa- he's walking into a cave full of water <laughs> in full armor, and it's a dark cave <laughs> in a ruined city, with the expectation of like the stairs will be intact. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've watched it twice now, uh, Bo-Katan goes diving in after him, which probably was like filming that. She she was probably like, I can only do that like two or three more times because it would look like a belly flop. <laughs> it did not look like a smooth entry in. Because <laughs> like, you know, you're trying to jump into water, and, you know, make a good entry in on trying to make sure you miss the stairs yeah. into the water. So you keep going forward. But you're also carrying stuff on your carrying weight on you, you know, so I'm pretty sure you're going down more down than you are forward. Anyway, she jumps in and she finds him at the bottom. She's using her jetpack this whole time. Deep diving what looks like at least 100 feet. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, like down and down and down and down. It's just like it just keeps going. 
mm-hmm. and she's using her little flashlight in the giant depths <laughs> trying to find him. And lo and behold, she realizes, oh, maybe if I turn this light off, I'll be able to see him because he's got a light. In. And she grabs him, tries to lift him up, and then she has to use her jetpack at full power to go all the way up. And on the way up, she sees this giant creature, the Mythosaur, what we assume is the Mythosaur, which is the horned animal crest of, that Mandalorians wear on them, on their armor. And then uh, rockets through the air, lands on the ground, and that's the end of season two. Episode um, two. Or not season two, <laughs> episode two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's where I had questions again about how much fuel is in these jetpacks because she used it on the way down and then not only did she have to use it on the way up she had to use even more thrust because she was carrying another person now she's underwater right so like any any kind of technological thing where you're like oh it's using stuff from the air to power and you're like you're underwater now like (laughs) like you're in a you're an environment that is (laughs) anti-fire right (laughs) how does these things work so right i'm sure on the first look people thought oh some creature got him and for a split second so did i i thought that you know a creature got him but well yeah that, that's kind of how you feel when he first drops in right but the thing about that is is once you see him lying there on the ground if something's got you and drags you underwater it doesn't let you go it doesn't just let you lay at the bottom you know it either eats you or you know starts dragging you around until you're dead and then eats you yeah a gator is going to store you for like two or three days while you rot a little and then it's going to start slowly eating on you right but it doesn't put you in a spot where you can easily just get grabbed by somebody else. <laughs> no, it becomes very apparent that he fell. <laughs> right. That, you know, the edge of the stair- stairs just stopped. And because he's wearing all this armor and clothing, he just went down like a stone. <laughs> and it's it's just a very weird, like, you end up in the place where, okay, side quest became irrelevant. Right. Main quest completed. Right. What the hell is going on? Like, what is the... So where do you go? Yeah, exactly. And I still have a question in my mind as to who actually has the Darksaber at this point. Because does she ever give it back to Din? Well, I'm sure we'll find that out, you know. Right. Air quotes next week for us, it will be tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. So by the time you guys hear that, this will be in the past. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and maybe the focus will be on Navarro. And the space pirates kind of hoping not. I kind of hoping there's a bigger picture than that. Navarro is cool and whatnot, but I mean. I kind of feel like we're setting up Din and Bo-Katan to be like the Mandalorian power couple. Yeah. Like. I could kind of see that. They've both now been to Mandalore. Right. She's the princess. Mm-hmm. He's got the dark saber. Right. She's seen the myth of mythivore now or the myth of whatever. Um, so she knows there's actually like some truth to the whole creed thing. Right. You know, he's now redeemed mm-hmm. kind of de facto because he's got the dark saber. He's now in charge of that group. At least she's got all of her folks that she can bring in. Like there's a real possibility of like them becoming the leaders of a new Mandalorian thing. And the question mark becomes then, well, what are they doing with that? (laughs) Right. And you know, something that was pointed out to me from listening to other star Wars people is that honestly, we haven't had a good romance story in star Wars since the prequels. That wasn't a good romance. story. That was an awful well, okay. romance. Well, we story. haven't had. Okay, I'll I'll rephrase it. That we haven't had any sort of romance story 
since the there prequels. You go. There you go. I mean, heck, even Han and Leia is <laughs> not a good romance. I mean, it's barely a romance. Like most of the romance is just and it ends tragically. Right, and it's just assumed to happen off screen, more or less. Right. So, right. Yeah. This would seem to kind of, you know, maybe at least add that aspect into the Star Wars storytelling. Which um, I think will be a good thing. I think it could be an interesting thing. But what if they're able to take their helmets off for doing it? <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> how awkward would that be? <laughs> I mean, it's just all practical questions. I mean, how do you take a shard? Do you never take a shard? I mean, is your head the smelliest head in the world? I mean, do you go toe to toe with Jawas with smell? Yeah. There, there has to be a practicality to it. He sort of lifts <laughs> it up in order to eat and all. And that's, but come on, there's, there's a limit to that and how that works. <laughs> Right. You know, hygiene being one of the things to consider. Yeah. Because even in the old Star Wars Illustrated uh, Universe books, they talked about how even Tusken Raiders remove their masks in private, that the only people that are allowed to see them are, you know, the mates. Right. Yeah. I could see this as being the story of the reinvention, the rebirth of Mandalorian culture. Yeah. Like, I mean, would they go down and try and reclaim the planet? And then what would that look like? And. I mean, it all seems to be about rebirth. Navarro has been reborn. Having the Mandalore being reborn would also seem to be yeah. something of a story they'd like to tell. Because the whole idea is that Star Wars just keeps going. Yep. So definitely interested to see what they put out the rest of the season. Because now, you know, all of the stuff they sort of tantalized you with as being like what the season was going to be about is done already. Right. And we're at the end of episode two. <laughs> two. <laughs> so, yeah. Is, is episode three going to be like a rehash of one? Like, we're just going to get all that stuff again? <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah. And I know we've nitpicked these two episodes. It's just because I'll, I'll still say I've been enjoying the ride. I'm, I've had fun this whole time. It's just now stepping back and you're kind of wondering where the story's going to go, but you can't. Before you were wondering how you were going to get to where the story was looking like it was going to go. Now you know you've already done that story. Yeah. So what is the story going to be? And I I don't know if I like that as much. <laughs> I don't like I don't like not knowing where things are going to go, at least as far as Star Wars, because um, we spent the better part of the last, I don't know, 20 years knowing where it was going to go. Yeah. But I like the writers and the directors and the executive producers so they're all doing their job so i'm not worried about it right i don't think it's going to be bad this doesn't strike me as like well we're screwed now like the rest of this is going to be awful <laughs> right <laughs> this is gonna suck yeah i don't have that fear or that feeling i'm very interested to see where it goes very interested yeah. and uh we hope you patreons are interested as well and uh, we want to say thank you for your patronage here with our Patreon episode, Pat and the Fat Man, PB&J Shorts, <laughs> Pat and Bruce Shorts, Mandalorian Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2. If you guys want, we'll keep going with this. If you'd rather we PB&J Short something else, let us know. And I believe you've all voted. And the clear winner with three out of four votes for the voting public was escape from New York. So expect us to start that in our, in the main cast uh, soon. It'll probably be the next. It's Chinatown. <laughs> it's no, that's Oh my gosh, Bruce <laughs> snake blitzing <laughs> going to New York. It, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun. 
inside the prison that is New York City, which feels very similar to how it is today, just not like with actual walls. <laughs> Thank you all for listening in. Any uh, final thoughts of the Fat Man? It's been a good ride so far. I'm looking forward to it. It's only two episodes in and we got a bunch more to go. So um should be an exciting season. Looking forward to it. And uh, looking forward to interacting with you all as we go forward this year of hopefully more on-time podcasts and more regular shows from us. So we thank you for your patronage and <laughs> we appreciate all of the help over these four years now. We've been doing this for you. We just posted the 70th episode. Wow. The sixth part of Red Dawn, so the final part, mm-hmm. was our 70th episode. Well, it helps that we like to talk about the same movie for like, you know, three months. <laughs> I'm trying to, I think our record is seven. I don't think we've gone, or no. Wow. Might be six. I don't think we've gone past six. Because episode episode three, Star Wars episode three got six episodes. I want to say the Big Lebowski got five. Maybe six. Oh, wow. Ferris Bueller's had four. Yeah. Uh, Red Dawn had six. Mm-hmm. Just because Red Dawn just turned out to be so much deep <laughs> than I think the director <laughs> even possibly envisioned. <laughs> 16 Candles got one episode because, my goodness, that movie. So bad. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Could never be made today. Never. Yeah. No, not going to happen. All right. Well, appreciate you all joining us. I'm Pat. I'm the fat man. Stay classy. May the force be with you. Uncle Owen, why? 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 Because you deserve it. <laughs>